0: Testing, one, two, three. (laughs) And what you're supposed to do on these things? Holler at them and see if they can hear you. Well, I was sleeping this morning. And all of a sudden, my bedroom door opened up. And I looked at my wife and I said, What? She said, You got to call Fulton Aminette. He's in Tennessee somewhere. Terry's sick. You've got the podium. And so here I am. Woke up this morning. In a different world whatsoever. It's not the first time something like that's happened, but this is about as short a notice as I've ever had had happen. But I was taking a course at the college one time to get it on my transcript of DC electricity. And Bill Enfield was the instructor. John Baker was my boss. I was I was automotive instructor, but I was going to take this class. And so I was sitting on the right front seat. I mean with a podium here'd I'd have been on that right front seat right over there. And I was sitting there one morning waiting for class to start. John Baker walked in, he said, Bill's had a heart attack. You've got the podium. And I had to get up out of my classroom suit seat and go take the podium and teach a course that I was going to take. But I had enough experience in automotive that I was able to do it. And I never did check my transcript to see if that's on my transcript that I got credit for the two that I took and taught at the same time, you know. So I, I don't know, I don't know whether it's on my transcript to this day or not. So uh, here I am again at the podium, <laughs> by, you know, as Gomer used to say, "Surprise, surprise!" You know. And so here we are. But I want to talk to you this morning. We're going to do quite a bit of scripture this morning, which is never wrong if you're in the pulpit to do scripture. And we were talking a while ago about some of the old time preachers. And uh, Dwight L. Moody and those guys, they preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. Billy Graham had an experience with the Holy Spirit, so did Dwight L. Moody, so did some of the others. I've got a copy of that famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, by a guy named Wilbur Chapman, and this is the way he preached it. But they threw it, murmured in their tents, and hardened not to the voice of the Lord. Therefore he lived That's how he preached that sermon, just like that, read it. But it was so powerful that the people in the pews were holding on to the backs of the pews and crying out to God for mercy. He described it as a sinner in the hands of an angry God is like being suspended over a pit of fire. Suspended only by one strand of a spider web. And so I want to talk to you this morning about God's provision or protection. God's promise and God's punishment. Three Ps. A lot of preachers like to do that. And so I want to talk first about the provision. The provision. There's a lot of think in this country today, I think this is very applicable to the situation that we're in today. We need to look at God's provision, we need to look at His promise, and we need to look at His punishment. So what we've got here is provision. I want to go to the book of the Exodus. This is the finest examples that you will ever find of God's protection of His people. God's protection of His people. Go to chapter 8 of Exodus. We'll start there, and we'll kind of go through some scripture here. In Exodus 8, 22 and 23, we see this. God's talking to Moses, and He says, But on that day, I will sever and set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of gadflies shall be there, so that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And I will put a division and a sign of deliverance between my people and your people. By tomorrow shall this, be, this sign be in evidence." What he's talking about there, he's about to bring the plagues upon the Egyptians. But he said, I will protect my people. I will protect my people. I think it should be very, very imperative that the churches today distinguish between church members, and God's people. But I think in this view of this pandemic, that God is able, He's fixing to bring some pandemics on Egypt, and God is able to protect His people from this this situation. Now you go right on over to chapter nine and verses four, six and seven says, Verse four says, "The Lord shall make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, and nothing shall die of all that belongs to the Israelites." And so verse 6 says, And the Lord did that the next day, and all kinds of the livestock of Egypt died, but of the livestock of the Israelites not one died. Pharaoh sent to find out, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. God not only protected His people, He protected their livelihood. They were herdsmen. They were in the land of Goshen simply because Egyptians couldn't stand sheep herders. They must have been kin to John Wayne or something, I don't know. But uh, they couldn't stand sheep herders. So they were in the land of Goshen. They had their cattle, they had their sheep. God protected them. See, God can also protect the livelihood of His people. The economy may fail, but God can protect the livelihood of His people. And then verse 26 of this same chapter says this, But for this very purpose have I let you live, that I might show you my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. What would be the situation in this United States, this very day, in this very pandemic, if it became very obvious that true Christians were not getting sick, that true Christians were not losing their jobs, their livelihood, that true Christians were still eating well, and no plague was upon them. What kind of witness would that be? What kind of news would be on the radio? How would CNN handle that? That it has been reported to us by such and such and such that the Christians in this nation are not suffering from this pandemic that it's only affecting the people that are not Christian. Do you think they'd report that? Not today. Not today. No. As a matter of fact, they'd probably want to do something about the Christians. Hurt them up and put them somewhere, internment camps or something. All right, now, if you go to chapter 10, verse 23, you see this. The Egyptians could not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the Israelites had natural light in their dwellings. Think about that, folks. It was so dark that they couldn't see one another. They were groping around, trying to, trying to find out where they were. There was no natural light. But look over in the land of Goshen. You know, old folks used to say, land of Goshen. But look over in the land of Goshen. Cows could see. Sheep could see. People could see, they could see one another, they could go about their daily chores. They could go out there and do whatever, whatever they needed to do. They had natural light. God took care of his people. Then go to chapter 11, verse 7. But against any of the Israelites shall not so much as a dog move his tongue against man or beast that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egyptians and Israel. Where is our distinction, folks? Where is our distinction? They used to have a ad on the back, we was talking about older days a while ago, they used to have an ad on the back of some of the magazines, it said, The Man of Distinction, and what were they advertising? Whiskey. The Man of Distinction, do you remember what brand he drank? Huh? I know it'd be Harper or something like that, but anyway, they had something like uh, uh, you know, and uh, advertising this whiskey, and it was for the man of distinction. It wasn't for your ordinary back alley drunk. This was for the classy drinker. But see, the Lord makes a distinction. But where's our distinction? Where do we stand apart? Where do we say, "Thus saith the Lord"? Where's our pulpits today? Where are we standing today as a distinctive person? Not advertising whiskey, but advertising the Lord Jesus Christ. Coming up on election. Are you going to vote? This, or are you gonna vote this? Huh? Which one are you gonna vote? You gonna vote one or the other? You're gonna either vote this, or you're gonna vote this. I like the signs up there in front of Faith Outreach. He got a sign up there that says abortion is murder. It's a wonder if somebody doesn't come out there and sue him. That's hate speech. But Jim don't care nothing about that. They can, they can hate him if they want to. It don't bother Jim. Not not a lot bothers Jim Harrison. But uh, so, and then they said, "Don't vote for abortion." I'm not being political when I tell you that a Democrat vote is a vote for abortion. No two ways about it, that's the way it stands. I'm not, I'm not preaching politics right now, I'm preaching the Word of God. The same vote is a vote for homosexuality, which God calls an abortion uh, abomination. He says it is an abomination. So if you're going to vote your wallet, are you going to vote the book? And that's not all of it. Socialism looks for a one-world government. I spent my military career, quote, fighting against socialism. At the same time, my government was undermining me, going socialist. You saw the thing that I gave you all the other day. But where does this all come from? Do you know anything about the plains of Shinar? The plains of Shinar, a bunch of people went out there. After the flood. And God told them. said, Scatter out and repopulate the earth. They got out there on the plains of Shinar. And they said. Lest we be scattered. What did God say? Scatter. Lest we be scattered. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us build a ziggurat. That we can worship the starry host of heaven. It's called the Tower of Babel. People all had one language, one mind, and they were going to make a one-world government. You hear that term any time here in recent times? A one-world government? That's what you vote for when you vote socialist. You vote for a one-world government. See, we're back to that point. God said of those people, He said, lest we stir them up, lest we scatter them out, nothing that they can imagine will be impossible for them. Now, this is God speaking of the human brain that He created and He knew what the capacity was that it had. And He said, nothing that they can imagine will be impossible. We're back to one language, people. And this is it. One is zero. One is zero. This computer that I'm wearing on my side, the one you got on your side, the one that he's got back there, all computers speak one language. Binary. Ones and zeros. How you combine those ones and zeros And what we use in this country is the ASCII code, which was developed for Morse code, dot, dash, binary. And so we still, I can get on a computer today and talk to someone in China who doesn't even speak English, but the computer will translate for me. And he can reply to me, and it will come out of my computer as English. But to the computer, it's all ones and zeros. It's combinations thereof. We're back to one language. Look how much technology has exploded in the last few years. The first phone I was ever exposed to was on the wall. It had a crank on the side of it. my aunt went to work for bell in west memphis and her phone number was 699 that's how many phones there there was that many phones in west memphis at that time that her phone number could be 699 Later on, they got more phones, so they put a suffix on it, and her phone number became 699-R. And I don't know whether that stood for residential, and the others might have been B or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, she ended up retiring from that outfit years years later. But that's how much technology has exploded just since when I was a kid. I lived on a railroad track steam engines come by only diesels we had was the uh, eagle down here and the rocket up on the rock island line and that was about it and then we had one we called the doodlebug a little old uh, local thing that ran from stop to stop to stop down the railroad tracks but the technology has exploded and a lot of it is simply because of communication People can communicate with one another now. We are all now back to all of one language, just like there were at the tower. So, what do you expect? What do you expect is going to happen? Then if you look again down at chapter 12, Verse 27, you will see this. You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he slew the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. God's protection, his provision. God's provision was there. And then you go to chapter 14 and you read 15 through 31. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the Israelites shall go through on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will go into the sea after them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, his horsemen. The Egyptians shall know and realize that I am the Lord when I have gained honor and glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, his horsemen. And the angel of God who went before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. The pillar of the cloud went from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. It was a cloud and darkness to the Egyptians, but it gave light by night to the Israelites, and the one host came not near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind. All that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the Israelites went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord through the pillar of fire and cloud looked down on the host of the Egyptians and discomfited them. And bound and clogged their chariot wheels making them drive heavily the Egyptians said let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians the Lord said to Moses stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians upon their chariots and horses so Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea and the sea returned to his strength normal flow when the morning appeared the Egyptians fled into it and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians and shook them off into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots, the horses, and all the host of Pharaoh that pursued them. Not even one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptian dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did against the Egyptians. people feared the Lord, trusted in the Lord and to his servant Moses. So we see the provision. All of this in Exodus here, we see the provision and protection of the Lord over his people. Has God changed? God has not changed. Will God still protect His people? Will He still provide for His people? The question being is, are we His people? Are we His people? Are we committed? We used that word back there a while ago, Steve. Are we committed to God to stand for Him in His power regardless of anything else that comes? What if this election goes the way that we don't really want it to go? What's going to happen? Are we going to th- are we going to fall down and cry and moan? No. We shall stand if we are God's people. We shall stand as God's people. And we will proclaim to the world that my God is my savior. My God is my lord. And my God will provide for me. He will prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He will feed me by the mouth of ravens if necessary. Elijah, out there in the boonies, where's he going to get any food? Ravens brought it to him. God can provide. Okay, let's look at the promise of God. God's promise. If my people, which are called by thy name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. At Second Chronicles 7 fourteen we often quote, but let's go on past there. Let's go on past there to this. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer offered In this place, this is the church, they're talking about the temple here, but it was talking about the church. For I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be here forever, and my eyes and my heart will be here perpetually. As for you, if you will walk before me, as David your father walked to do all I have commanded you and observe my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom, as I covenanted with David your father, saying, There shall not fail you a man to be a ruler in Israel. This was a promise made directly to the people of Israel. We often misuse this. We put it up there and we stop too soon when we say, This, if my people which are called by my name. But God has not changed. This does not mean that that's invalid for us. It just means that it was strictly applied to the house of Israel, to the temple. But does this mean we shouldn't honor it? No, it's in the book. It's in the book. So we still claim to God if we are the people who are called by His name, which is Christian, and we humble ourselves before God and pray to God and seek His face and turn from wicked ways. You say, "Well, we don't have any wicked. Oh, we don't have any wicked ways, do we? Not in this country. We don't have any wicked ways. We don't like babies, so we kill them, uh, even after they're born or partially born." Stop to think about that. Uh, but go down here in South Phillips County, down around Elaine and there's some bald-headed birds down there. You know them white-headed ones? Go down there and mess with one of their nests. Go down there and decide that you're going to have an eagle egg for breakfast. And grab one of them eagle eggs out of that nest and come back house and cook it and see what this government will do to you for messing with an eagle. It's not no fun, is it? Stand up here in this pulpit and preach against homosexuality and abortion and such as that and see what it's called. Over in 1 Corinthians, there's a passage in there that says that, it names a lot of sins, but it says those that participate in homosexual behavior have no part of the kingdom of God. If I read that to a homosexual I can be charged with a hate crime for reading scripture to a person that I want to hear have here the scripture I can be charged with hate crime so this second Chronicles goes on. Look at verse 19. But, oh, that's a big word. But if you people turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, we wouldn't do that in this country. <coughs> we would not in this country turn away from God's statutes, would we? His commandments. Don't put them up on my wall. Don't put them up in my school. Don't put them out in front of the courthouse. I'll run over them. I'll take my truck and run over them. Then will I pluck Israel up by the roots out of my land, which I have given them, did God give us this land? And this house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight, and will make it be a proverb and a byword among all nations. And this house which was so high shall be an astonishment to everyone passing by. And they will say, Why has the Lord done this to his land and to his house? Then men will say, Because they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of Egypt. And they laid hold of other gods and worshiped to serve them. Therefore, has He brought all this evil upon them. There is a price to pay. God makes a promise yes and no. You do it my way, and it's yes. You do it your way, and it's no. Let's look at the punishment. Psalm 106. Starting in the twelfth verse, it says, Then Israel believed his words, they sang his praise. But then the thirteenth verse says this, but they hastily forgot his works, they did not wait for his plans regarding them, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness, and tempted, and tried to restrain God in the desert. <clears throat> and he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their souls, and thin their numbers by disease and death. The uh, new international standard says, but he sent a wasting disease among them. Where did this pand- pandemic come from? Who knows? China, we know, but nothing, nothing happens without God's permission. The greatest judgment that God can pass upon me is this. Go ahead. You want to do something? Go ahead. He told Israel, go ahead. But see what you get. See what it brings upon you. Some of us have done this with our own children. When we knew it wasn't dangerous. You know. Mama, I want to do so and so and so and so. Go ahead. You'll regret it. But how are you going to learn to regret it if I don't tell you? Go ahead. God's indulgent. He'll say, Go ahead. But don't cry when you get the rewards. Don't cry when it hurts. My mother told me one time, old folks, country folks used to pick peppers, cayenne peppers. And hang them up to dry. And when it come hog-killing time and was making sausage, go get them old dried cayenne peppers, you know, and crumble them up in that sausage, that and sage and some other stuff, you know, and make up that sausage. I had an aunt that could taste a raw sausage to tell you how good it was. She'd roll it in her, around in her mouth, and she'd say, and a little such and such and such like that, you know. I wanted to hook a computer to that woman so bad I didn't know what to do. She could eat something in a restaurant and go home and make it. She asked me one time when we moved back from California, I asked her, Could I stay at her house for a few days till I found a place to live? And of course, she said yes. She had always uh, had these old big houses. And she asked me one day, She says, Herschel, you want some cheesecake? I wasn't going to tell her no, I didn't like cheesecake. And so I said, Yeah. I didn't know what I was asking for. She brought me a piece of cheesecake. It stood about that tall. And it was about that wide, a wedge of it. I could have ate the whole cheesecake. It was that good. And I thought I was just going to eat it because she wanted to give it to me, and I didn't want to hurt her feelings and everything, you know. But she was, she was that good a cook, you know. But you see, you don't always know what's good for you and what's not, or what to ask for and what not to ask for. But God does. God knows. When God says, I'm going to give you something good, Take it. I don't want that. Peter tried that one time, didn't he? Peter said, I don't want that. I ain't never eaten out of nothing like that. God said, don't call it unclean. Don't call it unclean. The last thing, right quickly, I want to look at the predictions for us. And that's Revelation. Revelation. That's Revelation, Revelation chapter six. You say, well, what if we do this? We take God that is promise, and we accept that God punishes us by disease and death. <clears throat> Where are we going to end up? Revelation 6.6 6 says this, And I heard what seemed to be a voice from the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, that's the day's wages, Three quarts of barley for a denarius, but do not harm the oil and the wine. See, economic economic recovery is promised for us. If we do what? If we obey God. There's always a caveat there. There's always that if. And then in verses 7 and 8, we see health and welfare. It says, When the lamb broke open, the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living creature call out, Come! So I looked, and behold, an ashy pale horse, (coughs) black and blue, as if made so by bruising. And his rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him closely. And they were given authority and power over a fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, with famine, plague, and with wild beasts of the earth. See, predictions for us, health and welfare of the world... The world will go, be sick. The world will be dying. But where will we be? See, we won't be. Most theologians think we won't be in the world at this time. They see that we will be out. But whether or not, whether or not, it does not matter. What was what was going on in Egypt? Death, sickness, darkness, where were the Christians? Land of Goshen, doing well. When the economy falls, where are we going to be? In the hand of God, where we thought we were all along. When we were doing well, what about our health and our welfare? In whose hands? In whose hands? In God's hands. And then, 12 through 14, we're going to see something else. There's going to be a cosmic change. When he broke open the sixth seal, I looked, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun grew black as sackcloth of hair. The full disk of the moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky dropped to the earth like a fig tree shedding its unripe fruit out of season when shaken by a strong wind. And the sky rolled up like a scroll and vanished. And every mountain and island was dislodged from its place. Then the kings of the earth, their noblemen, magnates, and the military chiefs, and wealthy and the strong, and everyone, slave or free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they called to the mountains and the rocks, follow on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the indignation and wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come who is able to stand before it where are we going to be folks where are we going to be we're going to be standing with the lamb or we're we going to be standing under his wrath do we have a choice We have choice. And Heavenly Father, we look forward to your salvation. We look forward to your protection, your deliverance, and your coming. I have no predictions about what's going to happen to this United States. All I know is this. You founded it. We have turned away from you. We have rebelled against you. We have maligned you. We have cursed you to your face. And we have declared your word to be null and void. And yet we dare... To pray for you to deliver us. No. We pray for you to judge us. And if your wrath comes, so be it. But we know that we trust in you. And that we will be under the wings of the Almighty sheltered for the storms that are to come and we thank you for that promise in jesus name amen